1: What would you like the power to
0: do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. The Final Furlong Podcast is sponsored by Unibet. Sign up now using code ATR-30 to get your welcome offer. Be 18+. The
2: Final Furlong Podcast is brought to you in association with attheraces.com, the ultimate resource for racing fans. Welcome along to the first of our Breeders' Cup special podcasts. I'm Emmett Kennedy, joined by NBC's Nick Luck. Emmett, good day.
0: (laughs) Welcome to Kentucky.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sounding super enthusiastic, almost as enthusiastic as Jane Mangan. I am
0: enthusiastic. Incredibly enthusiastic. I love this event as well. You know.
2: Yes. So no, I'm
0: I'm raring to go. I just don't want to, I don't want to shoot my bolt prematurely, as it were. Never advisable. I
2: I like the way you changed that um, that that euphemism at the last second so that it wasn't a really controversial <laughs> one. Um, first of all, nothing controversial at all. I, no, I don't no. Want to
0: get too overexcited. You you too never. Early in the week,
2: you never I, I, would be. You never. I, you, there's never a risk of nick Luck being anything like that um can we get an update on the weather because over here there's there's very mixed reports how long have you been there nick and what is the current state of the ground for the turf horses and for the dirt horses
0: well it's very pleasant at the moment and has been for the last 48 hours yeah you know, it's a very nice autumn sunny a day, and it, it was yesterday as well, Monday. But it forecasts for very heavy rain uh, Wednesday and into a bit of Thursday, and then it should should dry up for Friday. So there, there is a flood warning in the in the Lexington area, so about an hour to the east of here, um, there is a flood warning for Friday. So I just hope that misses. So I think come what may, we are going to get quite wet at some point between the now and the end of Thursday. And uh, that will have a significant impact on the turf course. It will get quite quite soft, I think. And uh, it shouldn't have too much of an impact on the dirt course, which is very free draining here because of the proximity to the river. And I would imagine that by certainly Saturday, the, the main track, the dirt track, as long as there's no rain on Friday evening or Saturday, it'll be, it'll be riding far.
2: So the dirt track won't turn into a slop like it did at Monmouth a few years ago. Well, the
0: dirt track will only turn into a slop if there's rain on the day. Okay. It won't turn into a slop if it's Yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be absolutely fine. If it, it doesn't matter how much rain there is tomorrow or Thursday. The dirt track will be fine come Friday or Saturday, as long as it's dry overnight and on the day. Uh,
2: the Breeders' Cup has come around really, really quickly, and uh, if you feel it's come around too fast, then you can get all the information you need. At at the races micro breeders' cup site, there is some cracking info here. Um, Barry Faulkner or box exacta Barry, as he used to be called back oh, in the brilliant. day. I used to love watching you, would have worked with him as well uh, on the old ATR. I used to love I watching Barry. I
0: Used to work with Barry every Sunday evening yeah. on the original incarnation of the races. Yeah, and uh, and very much enjoyed it. They were they were great days. We had a good little team covering American racing.
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely, and, it was, it was and a lot of fun. Um, Willoughby there as well and cracking jokes. There was a there was a producer who would appear on screen and crack open a cold one if one of his horses had won, and he'd crush the can and throw it at the screen if the horse had lost it was uh it was absolutely mad crack don't think you'd get away with that on nbc on at the races but um probably not probably Probably not not.
0: I i know these are i know they're slightly different times television's becoming a sort of deconstructed and we sort of see everything behind the scenes but um you know less Less polish and veneer, perhaps, in in in, in some regards. But, no, I, I, I still think that would be a bridge too far for, for mainstream TV. Just, somehow.
2: just slightly. Uh, so Barry is doing Kevin Blake's favoured work, Stats. Uh, that's available for you on the site. Yep. Peter Fornatal, who's going to be with us tomorrow, uh, he's done a Runner Profiles segment, and there are uh, Stable Tours. Peter
0: Thomas Fornital.
2: Peter Thomas Fornital. Peter T Fornital is back in business as well. Uh, he's got a column uh, every day on the at the races Breeders' Cup site. And Steve Asmussen looks like one of the NFL coaches. I just can't remember which one it is, but he's the spitting image of him. And of course, <laughs> the legendary I got a superstar, Bob Baffert. Uh, has also done a stable tour as well. And Nicholas Godfrey uh, gets into it with the French horses and the French challenge too. So uh, plenty to look forward to there. Nick, what I'm keen to talk to you about Uh, is the European challenge. Um, From your perspective, and from what you've heard in the States so far, how is it looking? And what do the Americans make of what we're sending over?
0: Good, good. I think it's very strong. I think it's one of the strongest challenges we've ever sent over. Depth in the classic, Lots of imponderables, but plenty of depth. Um, a real headliner in Enable. Yeah. Quite a few good backup artists in, in, in that race. And lots of other horses smattered through the remaining turf races. I'm always a bit disappointed when some of the main track races aren't patronized by European trainers, but that's the way things have, have gone. It's especially here at Churchill Downs, when where European horses have got a pretty good percentage strike rate on the turf. Remember Shake Alberty winning at a huge price in 19? Yeah. Was it 91 19- when when they ran uh, they ran here? Um, Giant Causeway obviously ran a terrific race in 2000. That Tisnay Tisnow. I mean, any number that have, have, have run creditably.
2: Yeah. Um, are you surprised uh, switching from dirt to turf that Enable is going for the turf because no horse has won the Ark and the Breeders' Cup Turf in the same season. I think it's great to see her again, but are you surprised that she rocks up here?
0: No, no, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, it's a it's a shot to nothing, really. She's one two hours are talking about keeping her in training next season. But you've got to think that, given that she had a fairly serious injury earlier on in this campaign, which held her up, it's a bit of a risk to, to think she could go round again. So it it strikes me as quite a, a good last hurrah, if indeed it is. Mm. And it's four million dollars. Like four million dollars. It's not. It's not like she's turning up for yeah you know, a couple of hundred grand, and she's a you know she's going to be an odds-on favourite to take a, an incredibly rich race. And I don't. I don't have an issue with the ARC as a threat for this because twelve horses have run in the ARC, A lot of them with great credit and come on to win the Breeders' Cup Turf. So I. I, I don't really have an issue with the with with the idea that she's won the ARC, Therefore for some um, trends-based reason she can't win the she can't win the breeders Cup Turf. so that wouldn't be the reason why I'd oppose her if she if she started taking huge huge money I think that there's horses in the race that can be backed against her at big odds and you can certainly play them in, in exotic sets here and do pretty well I think mm. um, the morning line odds make sound world well enough stuck him in at nine to two but if she takes a whole chunk then he'd be bigger um, I think magical's got a shot. Of, of running well, and I'd certainly be using her. I think that the, one of the American horses, Channel Make, has been underestimated, and I don't think he'll mind the, the turf being soft. And I'd, forcing tactics will suit him, and they, they improved him at Belmont. So I think there's at least three horses in the race that she needs to respect, yeah, you know, if not be frightened of.
2: Um, as an odds-on favorite, my inclination is to take her on. She's a brilliant mare, uh brilliant filly. She's you know, taking the, the world by storm. I think we all agree she would thrash Winks as we continue to bait the Australians <laughs> and uh, and fish. But she's a she's a seven to four on shot. And you've mentioned very very talented horses there. I'm surprised that Voltgeist is as is, is as short a price as he is. But I really rate him, and I think that his arc run wasn't clear and uh, i rate magical as well so is it a case of when you're on nbc live on at the races that you will be advising to take her on
0: well you go one of two ways don't you you either you either take the the approach that john McCurry used to take when he, he used to make occasional appearances on nbc and Try and smash it out of the park and rile the Americans up as much as you can, or you hope to be invited back. <laughs> <You> <laughs> hope to be invited back next year. And play play things a bit more diplomatically. I I I don't think she's a certainty, um, but I'm not going to start saying she can't win. I, so yes, I'm probably going to be very boring and cynical. No, I think what I'm going to do is to pretty much say exactly what what I've said to you, which is that yes, she's the most talented horse in the race. No, I don't think her form this season appro- uh, is, is, is approaches what she achieved last year. And if you think, if you have to fully buy into the idea that she's going to improve significantly off the back of the arc, I think she's a certain thing. Yeah. You have to fully buy into that idea. It just runs to that level. Then Valdeguy has got every chance of finishing pretty damn close to her, given how perfect her trip was in the arc. Um, and, and I've heard, um, the, the case of Magical is quite obvious. She's had quite a light season. She comes into the race in great form. She absolutely sailed through that race on Champions Day on bad ground.
2: Fantastic so performance.
0: Aiden's I, I, I won it with a filly before, mm-hmm. you know, in Found, so you had not a dissimilar profile coming into the race, and she ran down Golden Horn, of course, and was quietly fancy to do so. So, yeah, so I, 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 I think that it's a, it's a proper race. It really is.
2: And we have seen odds-on favourites beaten in that race. Uh, Over the years, Volkgeist and and, uh, Magical would probably be my box exacta for Barry Faulkner um, just to try and swing for the fences and knock it out of the park. Uh, There was an interesting stat that I read on the At The Races site yesterday that was mentioning the fact that Aidan O'Brien hasn't won the Breeders' Cup mile which when you think of the firepower mm. he's thrown at it over the years, but, is, is very interesting. So from a European perspective... But nor, but, go on.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, but, but nor, is any, nor is anyone else, to be <laughs> honest, unless they come from France. There have been 34 editions of the Breeders' Cup mile, right? Only 10 of them have been won by European horses. There hasn't been a European winner of the Breeders' Cup mile since 2010, which was Golda Cova. Eight of the ten European winners have come from France. One has come from Ireland, who I'm sure you can remember, mm. Richwood Pearl, John Arc, 1995, yeah. Belmont Park, And one has come from the United Kingdom, in 1994, trained by Luca Kumani. So it, it, it's not actually a race that the, the visitors have a tremendously good record in. Of course, Aidan O'Brien should have won it, and he probably should have had the exacter. At Arlington Park in 2002, because poor old Lancia broke a leg on the bend when he was going well. Yeah. Rocket Gibraltar was impeded and didn't get up, and I suspect they would have finished first and second or first and third if that hadn't happened. Um, and Rocket Gibraltar was given an awful lot to do as well. So, yeah, he yeah, was by, by Canaan.
2: And Canaan was a. Was
0: the f- thing, about this year, thing, thing, thing about this year's Breeders' Cup mile is that it's full of sort of group, group and grade one and a half horses, really. Yeah, they're not they're not a whole load of horses that are proven at the very highest level. Mm-hmm. I, anything could win this race. I mean, anything could win this race. The morning line odds maker had them five, five to one the field, and he's probably about right. He's probably about right. So, um, it's how, a very very hard race to, to to assess.
2: How tight is that track uh, in terms of of the Quite mile? Quite
0: tight. Quite tight. It's perhaps not as tight as it's not as tight as Del Mar, but it's it's tighter than Belmont Park. Um, and you, you do need a sort of stalk and pounce type for the mile. You do need that golden cover type horse who'll travel, sit and travel well in behind the lead, and then and then quick and really smartly. The obvious type of horse for the race is Expert Eye. Um, I, I just worry that if the ground does get very soft or loose, it, it'll it'll negate his most potent asset, which is his turn of foot. Um, but I I I think sort of in terms of profile and run style, I quite like him. The American milers aren't really up to much. he won the race last year, not with us anymore. Oh, isn't, isn't in the field and and uh, lost his way completely after looking a pretty good horse. Mm. And the rest of them are, are a thin bunch, and that's why there's so many European runners in the race. But if somebody said to you that, you know, to name the the top, you your, your your top ten race horses in Europe, you'd struggle to name many of these mile candidates amongst
2: them it's remarkable when you look at the betting market as well because jamie spencer is riding i can fly who ran an absolute stormer on champions day um, but gustav Klimth is a horse that you can't really trust and ryan moore is going to ride him and i can fly is actually a shorter price so it's it's a very confusing market if you were pushed on nbc to go for a selection would it be expert eye
0: I think it probably would at this stage, but my mind could easily change 15 times between now and the and the weekend. Um, It's just a really, really hard race to get a handle on. I mean, Gustav Clint's quite a small, handy horse who's got a bit of form over shorter. Aidan O'Brien's always maintained he's got quite a lot of speed, Um, and I mean, I know he maintains a lot of horses a lot of speed, but it is a sort of refrain that he's been that he's been quite keen to. Uh, quite keen to deploy during the course of the year. Uh, he's a he's a sort of handy little horse who might might be quite well suited to it. So I can sort of see why Ryan Moore's riding it, but it's, it must has been a fairly difficult choice between him and Happily and I Can Fly. I would have thought.
2: Yeah, it has. Uh, to. But
0: an interesting one right? because he's not he's not fully exposed, and you know, even, even though he's not that younger horse, and Sir Michael Stout hasn't really had a clear shot at a full season with him really until now. So there might be a bit more to come from him. I think I think. I think Michael Stout will be will be probably the happiest trainer with his two with his two in there. Um, the draw hasn't been terribly kind.
2: No. And actually, just in terms of the draw, for those who aren't familiar with Churchill Downs, what is the ideal draw to get? Where do you want to be?
0: Turf or dirt? Uh, On turf, you probably want to be. Well, if, you, if you're running short on the turf, you want to be down toward the inside. At five and a half furlong turf sprint, I want speed on the inside. Um, I think the mile, you don't want to be drawn too far out. I don't think a double-figure draw is good at all. Mm. But the, the main track races, I'd always prefer to be outside than inside as a general rule. Um, you know, five, six, seven, eight, probably ideal in the classic, or six, seven, eight, nine. I think mendelson has got a nice spot in nine.
2: Yes. But I don't
0: want to be in. I don't want to be in Thunder Snow or Roaring Lion much. I don't like one and two. But the only thing I would... People have talked about Thunder Snow's Kentucky Derby draw, because he was on the inside in the Derby as well. That got a few titters last night when he was drawn in one. But it's not quite as bad as it is in the Derby. Because in the Derby, they use the auxiliary gate. So the the, the stalls are angled slightly differently into the first bend than they are in the Breeders' Cup Classic. If you're drawn one in the Breeders' Cup Classic on the dirt, you've actually... It's quite difficult to explain this, but if you actually went behind the stalls and looked out straight ahead of you, you'd actually have a reasonably clear run for the first turn. You've got a bit more room on your inside than you than you have when there's 20, when there's a gate of twenty across the track, and you get you're immediately tightened up as soon as you jump, or if you don't jump smartly. So I don't, it's, it's not so bad. But if you're asking me where the perfect spot is, I'd say someone between five and five and nine. I think Mendelssohn's got a good spot there.
2: Okay, um, do you think Mendelssohn can do it in the classic? Do you believe, because yeah. Jane Mangan gave this, and I know she was on your show, uh, Look, on Sunday recently. We were talking to her about it last night. And she, she, was, she, was, she
0: was. She was excellent
2: as well. She is a terrific, terrific pundit and analyst, and she's a very, very bright future, and we love having her on the show. Uh, and I'm glad that you brought her over, because she, she's gone places. Um, but she gave this very impassioned speech about mendelssohn and that this will be the day and there's no better man to have mendelssohn fired up for the classic so nick look do you believe that aiden o'brien is finally after all the heartbreaks with declaration of war and giants causeway that this is his moment this is his time and he finally wins the breeders cup classic
0: yeah i do i do especially after seeing the draw I mean, he's a horse who arguably should have won the Jockey Club Gold Cup. Now he'll have to do better still, but he has improved significantly with each run over here. Yeah. You know, the the run in the Dwyer was pretty ordinary, and then but he needed the run, and it was the trip was too short. But at least he showed he was back. Then the run in the in the Travers was excellent, fine Catholic Boy, and the run in the Jockey Club Gold Cup was even better. And he's not got to improve that much more to be right in the mix here. And you can bet your bottom dollar, you know, this is likely to be his last run. He will have had every single screw tightened for Saturday. And provided he's mentally applied, because he has been a bit mentally wayward, he roars a bit and he's a babyish, a bit immature. You know, provided he's not mentally hardened now, I think he's got a real shot, but not if, it, not if it does turn into a sloppy track. But if the forecast is right, I think Mendelssohn will be be a real player here. I mean, I would have quite liked Thunder Snow as well, but I don't really like the one bug.
2: No, uh, that's that hasn't suited him at uh, all. So if
0: I made O'Brien and I'm worried about horses in the race, which horses am I going to be? Am I worried about um, for what reason? Well, I'm I'm worried about. I'm not worried about accelerating. He's drawn in fourteen, and and I didn't like the way he won last time. Mm. I'm a bit worried about West Coast. You no, know he's good enough, and he's trained by Bob Baffert, so he could have squeezed any amount of improvements out of him since that comeback run. So I'd be a bit worried about West Coast. I'd be worried about McKinsey because he's completely unexposed, and he was supposed to be justified before justify was justified. Mm. And I'd be a bit worried. I'd be a bit worried about Roaring Lions that he translates his ability to or uh, near enough win. So they'd be the three that I'd be worried about for different reasons. I think
2: it is some roll of the dice, to be fair, from John Gosden and from his owner to take the punt and it's go a for big, the classic.
0: The big, big roll of the dice.
2: Uh, are you in favour of well Are you in favour of it or do you think that this is this is a misstep that they should have gone for the mile?
0: No, no, no. I'm massively in favour of it. I'm massively in favour of it. Yeah, you know, the horse has got <coughs> excuse me. The horse has got a fantastic stallion portfolio already. Yeah, you know, three three ten furlong all age group one, followed by a mile all age group one. Thank mm. you very much. I mean that is he's got everything as regards achievement for a stallion. And he hasn't got everything pedigree-wise, but he's got everything achievement-wise. Um, so I, there's, no, there's no more to be gained by winning a turf or a mile. I'm presuming that John Gosden doesn't think he could beat an able over a mile and a half or thinks that it's more in her wheelhouse than it is Roaring Lions. I think a mile and a half on soft turf here, whatever he says about three bends, would stretch Roaring Lions. So I think that the distance is is, is right for him. And as and I say, the Churchill dirt track, is not, is not as difficult for European horses to handle uh, quite a lot of dirt tracks. So the re- and there is a reason for it as well. There is a geological reason. Because of the proximity to the river and the aquifers deep below the dirt surface, the, 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 the track does drain quite freely. And also the amount of clay in the subsoil means that means that the, the, the top of the track doesn't shift quite so much underneath. So when they go to find their footing, it's not a tricky experience for them. So they, they actually get a hold of the track properly. So they don't, they don't. It doesn't, it doesn't shift so much underneath the, underneath them when the track's riding fast. And I do genuinely believe that's a reason why more turf-based horses have done well here than than, than other venues.
2: And he is American-bred, but it needs to be stipulated that he's American-bred in terms of the turf perspective. But he's yeah, he's not dirt-bred. He's, he's dirt, not dirt-bred. Dirt bred. But you've so, just you've just made a very yeah, so solid case there that, that that may not matter that almost the dirt track is akin to Southwell on a on a rainy day. Um, he's he is a hugely intriguing runner, but you're sticking with Mendelssohn.
0: Yes, I am sticking with Mendelssohn. Yeah, Good man, yeah, I think I think um, there are a few there are few. I mean, listen for all I've just said, there is still a massive doubt as to whether whether a roaring lion can reproduce his best turf on the, on the, on the day his run style and his pedigree don't necessarily suggest that it will. I'm just saying I'd worry about him on a pure class basis, but yeah, I, I, I like the way he's been conditioned for the race and he keeps surprising me. And I like the horse. I think he's got a lot of quality. He's got a lot of speed. He's got a lot of speed and he's getting out of the gate handily. And, yeah, I can see him running a huge right.
2: I remember you talking to one of the NBC pundits last year when he won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf, and they were just in love with him because of his breeding, being a, a brother to yeah. Beholder. Um, and, yeah. and they really wanted to believe. But the point was being made by Peter T. Fornatal, uh, our good friend, that the second it went wrong in the Kentucky Derby, most of them just most of american racing fans just wrote them off straight away so it really would be some story if you can bounce back and grab that classic i know you've got commitments for nbc coming up so very briefly um the philly Mer turf we've got wild delusion magic yeah. wand Azira's in there as well uh and athena who's already been a winner in america um, is this all about the europeans for you
0: uh well there there's two things this race is about. Well, there's one thing this race is about, it's Chad Brown. He's got five runners and he can control the race to a certain extent because he's got five runners and he's got five viable ones as well. So I'd be I'd be uh surprised if he didn't win it, in all honesty. He's got a great record in it as well. He's won three of the last five. Um of the European contingent, I think Wild Illusion has the best chance. I think she's closely matched with Magic Wand on ability if the ground somehow came up quick. I'd like Magic Wand. I don't like the way she's been finishing her races and I, I think that the soft ground is gonna play against her and possibly play for Wild Illusion, who is at least as good a Philly as Wahida was for the same connections last year and Charlie appleby has got a great breeze cup record. I've got to fly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is an I've got F- to
0: go. I have to film a I have to film a piece about drainage on the surf track at Churchill Downs. It's going to be the pinnacle of my career.
2: That is an epic way to sign off from a podcast. Nick, we're looking forward to watching you on NBC, exclusively on At The Races, Friday and Saturday night. Have a blast. You always do a brilliant job there. And we're looking forward to seeing the Breeders' Cup on ATR. Uh, enjoy it. And hopefully you will be backing and picking tons of winners.
0: Hope so. Hope so, Emmett. Cheers. Thanks so much.
2: Always a pleasure to have Nick Luck on the show and waiting patiently in the wings is my partner in crime, Kevin Blake, uh, NBC's coverage exclusively live on At The Races, which means of course we'll be seeing Nick on Friday and Saturday night. Um, Kev, we're going to record another podcast tomorrow with our regular, our resident US racing expert, Pete, Peter T. Fornital who will be working alongside Matt Chapman for At The Races at the Breeders' Cup. I bet he can't wait.
1: Who wouldn't get excited at that prospect?
2: He is a bit of a legend, to say the least, and uh, he'll join us tomorrow to give us his thoughts on the uh, US and, indeed, European runners. He's got an encyclopedic knowledge Of the form book, that man. Uh, Kevin, I wanted to touch on the Friday with you, first of all. We'll get more in-depth with it tomorrow. But um, it's a strong challenge that Europe are sending over. And more specifically, it's a strong challenge that Aidan O'Brien is sending over. And possibly one of the surprising runners of the entire weekend is Sergei Prokofiev who we will see in action in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. Does this suggest to you that they feel he needs to be made the most of now as a juvenile, that maybe he won't train on, or that they've now got him right? Uh, this is his distance, and so it's an ideal race for him.
1: Um, the latter, I'd say. Um, I, I would expect him to train on. And um, look, they, they found the key last time. You know, He needs to be ridden quietly over five. Uh, he's just a very fast horse and uh, those are the circumstances that that seem to show him the best effect and uh, he's likely to get that sort of set up here you'd imagine it'll be a bit trickier for him going around a bend and things will happen quickly and he'll need to get all the luck Um, all the luck in the world really once he turns in to get a, a clean run at them but uh, I assume yourself and uh, Nicholas have talked about the weather forecast.
2: Yes, we have, but if there's anything new that you would like to contribute to it, uh, we always like Blake's assessment of the weather, so do your best Lucy Versami, for us.
1: <laughs> um, well, so I probably have no more to add than you. Than you guys had, you know. There's over three inches of rain forecast, so I think we have to very much. When we're chatting about this, we have to very much think about it in terms of certainly the easy side of good. Um, it's always hard to quantify. You know, they might call it soft over there, but how is that soft compared to Navin soft? You know, it's, yeah, uh, it's a tricky thing. But you know, with with, with Sergi, you know, he's a horse that, that wants decent ground. I think, by all accounts. Um, so a lot of rain would be a concern for him.
2: It would compromise him so, in in your eyes, were that to happen. Um, I, I know that you haven't had time to have a full look at it. Uh, you will by tomorrow and we'll be getting into it in depth with, um, with Peter. But in terms of the overall challenge, I'm going to ask you about the the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf in a second because it's a race that Aidan O'Brien's got a fantastic record in but in, in terms of the overall challenge that Aidan is sending over it's, it's a big team this year and there's a lot of talk stateside that this could be the most competitive Breeders' Cup for many a year.
1: Yeah it's not just Aidan, it's it's a very strong European challenge, full stop um, very exciting Breeders' Cup in prospect, but one of the Um, maybe one of the most exciting of recent years i know we might be lacking an american superstar would say that that we've had in previous years but
2: sorry i think what you meant to say was
1: superstar (laughs) but it's a it's a really good um couple of days in prospect and i just hope the weather doesn't scupper the thing you know it would be great if if they don't get as much as expected and it's it's you know close enough to good ground because it would just be a real pity if it uh, if it was softer than that because of course it it will suit some better than others but i think it will scupper an awful lot of um an awful lot of the the the, the bigger european guns not all of them um but it, it wouldn't be ideal uh, it's, uh, I'd be really looking forward to this it's a, it's a proper meeting
2: yeah it really is and I'll be watching it Friday and I have no qualms in saying that I'll be watching it Saturday as well because it's very, it's very easy for us Kevin this year like the Saturday racing begins at 4pm and the last race is, is 9.44 you know, we're not having to stay up all night to see how these horses are going to get on we're, we're very lucky this year in terms of the timing
1: Exactly. You know, it's much more suitable when it's closer to the the East Coast. And um and it's just all kind of combining to make it, you know, a, a really nice meeting in prospect, I think. Mm. Uh you'd imagine there'll be an awful lot of betting interest in it. I know it's a one of these things that people debate, Or oh, how you know <laughs> there there's a theory out there that um the the level of coverage the the breeders' cup gets doesn't necessarily translate to betting turnover, and the the coverage is very much um, is very much a consequence of how many British and Irish journalists are out on junkets <laughs> out there, and um, have to pump out <laughs> loads of content to justify their uh, to justify their trips. Uh, and I can say that guilt-free because I've never been to the Breeders' Cup.
2: <laughs> yeah, you you can throw everybody else under the bus because yeah, you, you can wait you,
1: for you can wait for Hong Kong for me to start pumping out <laughs> <laughs> international content of questionable interest.
2: <laughs> and that's when that's when Kevin Blake will be seen uh, fully on board the gravy train. So uh, keep an eye. Are you going to Hong Kong again this year?
1: I don't know. I was planning on doing it, but I, I might not be able. I might okay. not be able. I may have to go to the sales. I don't know. I need to make up my mind soon. But oh, anyway.
2: All right. Extra additional responsibilities uh, for Kevin Blake this year. So uh, we will move on from the uh, turf sprint. Do you think Sergai. Sergai. Just, just before
1: it? we move on, we, we, you, know, you got to give a big shout to Soldier's Call.
2: Yes. Um, gotta
1: so, give a big shout to Soldier's Call. And
2: we've talked on the podcast already this season about what a remarkable campaign Archie Watson's been having with his juveniles. And um, Soldier's Call's form is serious; like he's never been out of the first three. Uh, he's he is a big, big danger to everything.
1: Oh, well, he's the one to beat. Yeah, you know he, he's third in an abbey against the older sprinters. And, uh, and I would mark him up on that because I, I thought himself and Batash um, overdid it in front. The sectionals backed that up to a large degree. And considering, you know, he went toe for toe with Batash, you know, Bill is one of the best sprinters in the world and uh, and ultimately got the better of him. I know in receipt of, you know, six and a half stone, weight for age, but um, it was still a big, big effort. And he's well drawn here. Um, I know... What what can look like a a sharp starter in Europe can be made look like a a steadyish starter in America. But this fella flies the gates normally. And you'd like to think that even against these Americans that tend to be super sharp away. And that he'll be certainly out on terms, if not better. And uh, right up in the front end, which is, you know, given the choice, I think you'd rather be in the first four than the last four. And I suspect... You know those are the those are the kind of the groupings that soldiers call, and, and Sergi will be in. They'll be in contrasting positions, and uh, yeah, soldiers call. The, you know the ground will be perhaps a slight question mark. There was a bit of a, I think it was officially good to soft. I must check here and uh, as we talk and see what time form called the ground the day he won um, at T. but you know again most of his better form is on a sounder surface. Mm. Let me see here.
2: As you're doing that, I'll just say that if you use, and you really should be using the at the races site for the race cards for Churchill Downs uh, over the weekend, uh, I've mentioned it already that there's a Breeders' Cup special microsite available uh, with contributions from uh, Nicholas Godfrey, from uh, Barry Faulkner. Barry, Box, Exacta Faulkner, an absolute legend, uh, and lots more content there as well, including stable tours and uh, significant interviews as well, and uh, stats guides and all the information you need. But when you're looking at the race cards themselves, uh, on the top of the page where you're looking at all of the races, it tells you where the ideal draw is which is a very, very handy piece of information to have. So uh, make sure you're using the At The Races site. Yes, obviously I'm biased, but they've done an incredible job with it. Um, Price comparisons as well. And uh, you'll have the ATO analysis and the time form analysis as well. So make sure you don't miss that. Kevin, have you got your info?
1: I do, and look, this is just a classic example, really. You know, the going descriptions can be misleading. Uh, at the best of times in France, they, they can be especially dodgy. And people will look at soldiers caught, the, the form of soldiers call here. They look at his group three when a Sean T, say see if it was on officially good to soft ground, and say, oh, on that, he'll be fine if there's knees in the ground at uh, Churchill Downs. Um, I like to double check on time form because they will adjust the ground um, based on times and sectionals. And they call the ground a Sean T that day, um, not good to soft not good they call it good to firm <laughs> you know, so a big a big big difference <laughs> um and I, I think that's that's something always worth double checking because as as most people that follow racing closely will know that uh, the official going descriptions doesn't always necessarily match up with reality and that this appears to be one of those cases so with, with soldiers call you would be It'll be fair to say that he'll go into this race, assuming there's knees in the ground, um, unproven on such a surface.
2: And of course, we have the Royal Ascot winner for Wesley Ward, Shang, Shang, Shang. Which Shang, en- Shang, Shang. Yeah, which ended up being Shang, a song Shang, Shang. that was stuck in our heads because you started doing that uh, at Shang the y- social stage.
1: Shang, Shang, <laughs> y- Shang. Shang.
2: Oh man, you wrecked Jack, Hattie, uh Penny, and my head. Uh, with, hey, with look! When, some,
1: when something gets in there, it's hard to get it out. Oh <laughs> man, it was
2: ridiculous. I was uh, I was having dinner the other the other day, and there was a, a child not too far away from me. Children should definitely be seen and not heard. Because <laughs> she was running around the place, yelling that stupid. Is it the duck Shang, song? Shang, Shang, Shang. No, that, that ridiculously annoying song that you were singing the other day. That Baby Shaq. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, I cut that out of the podcast because I wouldn't <laughs> inflict it on the ears of our loyal listeners. But, oh, I nearly went insane. Um,
1: oh, love a bit of baby shark.
2: So Shang 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 is is um, is going as well uh, and bringing that Royal Ascot form. So this is a deep race. Who would you go for? Um,
1: look, Soldiers Call would be the will be the gut shout at this stage. And I haven't started hammering this down yet. Um, it would be important before you get involved in Soldiers Call just to just to hammer this race down pace wise a little bit because you wouldn't like it, a whole lot of opposition for him on the front end. And, I'm sure it would be too much to ask for him to be the only pace in the race. I very much doubt that's the case. But mm. um, just, just keep a in eye on, on in terms of potential pace pressure. But I, I don't think he has the lead. But um, ideally, he'd be up there without too much pressure around him.
2: I am keeping the faith with Sergei. Sergei Prokofiev.
1: I'm, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned so perfect yet. Because she she's got good form as well. Seems to be improving. Well, she's. Um, To be be fair to her.
2: She's also declared for the juvenile fillies. So I I wonder are they going to do a a last minute switch? Switcheroo. Okay. Yeah, possibly. Um, But you're right. She does have very good form to her name. Speaking of Aidan O'Brien fillies, in the Breeders' Cup juvenile fillies turf, we'll have just wonderful having her seventh start of the season i don't know if she's on loan from mark johnston's yard possibly but we we've seen in the past that uh, aiden o'brien like mark johnston is not afraid to run his horses but particularly when they're fillies he's not afraid to um, to really go at it and i, I suppose ultimately he's not going to run a horse unless he feels that their constitution is up to it um but also from a stallion perspective they're not going to start to be sold on a brochure and attract breeders. They'll be going to the stud to be mated with um, whatever Stallion Coolmore feel is is best. Um, but I would give her a huge, huge chance here. But the Mac and Bullet is another one who could also be underestimated because she's come into some terrific form. For Brian Ellison and gets the assistance of Oshin Murphy.
1: Yeah, this looks a good deep race. To be fair to mm. it, um, just wonderful. I think has benefited from a, a quieter ride. Um, you know, <laughs> she, she's, she's actually um, she's a half sister to Last Treasure, who's become a bit of a, a cult hero <laughs> um, or, or a cult anti-hero. In, in recent weeks because of his, his quite remarkable tendency to, to to stop abruptly when he hits the front. Yeah, um, It's been quite sensational there one or two days. And uh, while this filly doesn't do it quite as dramatically, I think there is a tendency that she doesn't quite do a whole lot when she gets to the front. So I'd imagine Ryan will be taking his time as best he can. Um, La Pelosa's in here representing the mighty dandy man go oh, on dandy man um, so yeah I'll be, I'll be giving her a shout as well Lily's Candle who of course won and won on Arc Day having changed hands the day before yes um, and this newspaper of record is supposed to be a bit of a rocket by all accounts Chad Brown's horse
2: that's the talk and uh, apparently one of the great things about American racing is that you can actually see the workouts on track and apparently she's been very impressive in those as well so yeah a lot of talk about her so there would be nothing but great pleasure if we can go over there and smash up the Americans.
1: <laughs> well, it's a newspaper of record, like it is very much Irish-bred. You know, would you believe she's actually quite closely related to Latrobe?
2: You're not serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's no, very much an Irish pedigree. Okay. Um, her, her, her dam is a half-sister to the dam of Latrobe.
2: But we can't claim her because she's trained in America, so...
1: Yeah, she 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 was sold out of book one at New Marcus and Chad Brown's Chad Brown's owners bought her and brought her over. So we we can't fully claim her. But no. we, we will if she wins. We will. Yeah, if she <laughs> that's, wins, that's, that's that's the way these things work, isn't it? If she
2: wins, somebody at the Breeders' Cup. If you are going to the Breeders' Cup and you're a final Furlong podcast listener, throw the tricolor at um, <laughs> at Ortiz as he's coming in uh just just throw it at uh, ortiz he'll have to put it on and uh, we'll claim it as an irish victory uh in terms of the europeans kevin who are you most excited about in this race
1: um gee tell you what it's just it's just a deep race isn't
2: it very
1: i i i don't i say i struggle to have a strong opinion on it now but it's um, I, one we didn't mention that I would be excited about is East down at the bottom for Kevin Ryan
2: and Jamie Spencer da- booked a ride
1: daughter of Frankel. I've been quite impressed with her. She was, um, she was very good first time in Hamilton came from an awful long way back. And then things went wrong for her um, at San Clue last time. And she still managed to win. Um, She's, she's quite a talented filly. I'd say I actually I was paying particular attention to her because um, she had a She had um, a full sister, was there, a full brother at Goffs, a full sister, a full brother, sorry, went through the ring at Goffs there a few weeks ago, an absolute smashing horse, and funny enough, Kevin Ryan bought him as well, so um, quite possibly for the same connections, who knows, but this this is a very nice filly, and uh, she wouldn't want to get too far back here, obviously, because she um she just kind of found herself shuffled back at St. Clu last time but she's she's got loads of ability and i'd say stepping up and trip would be no problem at all um like her mother was a bit of a what was, what was the story with, with her mother vital statistics she was a bit of a weirdo i think um and she uh, she was very free going i think which would, would you say combined with Frankel is asking for trouble but this this philly seems straightforward
2: yeah, which is um, quite remarkable that she's not taking after her parents' tendencies to rip the arms out of his jockey. I mean, Frankel is probably the best we'll ever see, but he was very, very keen, certainly in, in his early days. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed Tom Queeley can still be a jockey and that his arms haven't been ripped out of his shoulders. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think you're right about vital statistics. I think she was a, a, a right quirky one as well. Um I think we'll give you the day, Kev, to, to figure out. Which... Yeah,
1: oh, I, will, I will be hammering this down tomorrow. Yeah, I... it's, a, it's, a, it's a smashing race. It really, it really is. is. It
2: really is. Uh, this race is on the Friday, 8 o'clock on at the races, exclusive to ATR, so make sure uh, you're tuning in and don't miss it. The Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. Uh, Kevin was breaking the news that Anthony Van Dyke is going to take up his engagement here. Uh, it's a race that Aidan O'Brien has done particularly well in over the years, including winning it last year with Mendelssohn, who, of course, will be winning this year's Breeders' Cup Classic. They don't all go on to great things afterwards, Kev. Uh, they can't all be Mendelssohn's. What do you make of the decision to run Anthony van Dyke here? Is it is it suggesting to you that... They feel he's not quite as good as they thought earlier in the season, and that this could be a, a nice, handy grade one to pick up.
1: Um, you could read it that way. Um, it's surprising, I didn't expect it. Um, but look, going up to a mile or going back up to a mile, I should say, should really suit. Um, draw like 14 or 14 speaks for itself, and um. You know, horses that are drawn in the widest stall with open air outside them, you know, statistically they would miss the kick a lot more than horses drawn with, with horses either side of them. And um, so, that, and you know, we know Aiden O'Brien's, they don't always sharp start as super sharp as you'd like um, when in an environment like America where the start is really emphasized. So it wouldn't be a shock at all if Anthony Van Dyke misses the kick here um, and look before. You even come out of the stalls. If there's an ease in the ground, I don't think that's ideal for him. I think he, he's certainly better on a, on a qu- real quick surface. And he's probably not going to get that here. So um, a few negatives there for, for Anthony. Um, one that I'd mention quickly, just because um, he's just a very interesting horse in terms of what he represents, his line of duty uh, for Charlie Appleby. And oh,
2: best uh, TV show Ever, and is back for a new series next year. Make sure you don't miss it. It's from the people who make Bodyguard. It is absolutely brilliant. And it's great to see that Sheikh Mohammed is a huge fan of, uh, of Keely Hawes and uh, Adrian Dunbar and other
1: AC- actors we've never heard of. And AC12. <laughs>
2: The Anti-Corruption Unit, if you have not oh, seen Jesus. Line of Duty, it's available on Netflix and the BBC iPlayer. Watch it. It is compelling stuff. So obviously, <sighs> Sheikh Mo, a huge fan of the BBC's Line of Duty. Um, he has, well, been, he has <laughs> been impressive, Kev. And uh, yeah, I can, I can definitely see a case for, for, for the horse as well.
1: Well, other than his name, uh, what makes him very interesting is his pedigree, uh, because he's by Galileo uh, of Jacqueline's Quest. Mm. And th- this is one of the horses that broke the boycott. I'm um, a book one last year, got bought him for 400,000 guineas. And, uh, of course, we know Jacqueline's Quest um, won, won, won uh, the 1,000 guineas and was lashed back to second. Uh, and a pretty cruel church choir. Oh,
2: that was the worst. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember the interview on? It was Channel Four had the coverage at the time. And yeah. The yeah. poor, the poor uh, owner was in a wheelchair, and yeah, he thought he had it. I think the the late great Sir Henry Cecil trained that horse, and live, the announcement came out that the placings have been altered as they were interviewing that poor man, and he was devastated. It was was shocking.
1: Yeah, but she actually turned out to be a real, a bit of a yoke of a thing, Jacqueline's Quest. She refused to race and refused to come out of the stalls a couple of times. That's right, yeah. But there we go. She's uh, she's made a good start as a broodmare, to be fair. Um, What a reasonable start. And look, this this one's the best she's thrown so far, and uh, is very much going the right way. And you know, Charlie Appleby has had a, a, a season of all seasons as a great man. Was a set. season of all seasons! <laughs> and um, I don't think I'll, I'll do my double check again because we, we see that um, he officially won on good to soft ground at Sean T last time. I don't know if it was the same card, but I'll quickly find out. And the ground at Sean T that day was good. So, not quite as misleading, but still a little bit misleading. Um, so if there's an ease in the ground that would be a concern there as well or certainly an unknown
2: mm. uh, Marie's Diamond I see rocks up again
1: you're, you're old pal, you're Stefan Rishi's pal
2: <laughs> yeah um, do you know at the time I I was defending the owners and saying well I can understand why they didn't sell them because they probably feel they can win today at Goodwood and and go on to success and then I commented on Twitter that (laughs) Rishi was right and they should have sold him and immediately one of his owners was having a go at me but um, I believe the horse hasn't won since you turned down that massive offer so um, they didn't turn it down though
1: are you sure about that I
2: very much doubt it. You think there was a reserve that wasn't met?
1: They, they would have, definitely had a. They would have had. Looking at the figures, and I can't say with certainty, but I strongly suspect there was a reserve of seven hundred thousand on. Right. Um, because it's, it's gone down. It's not sold for six seventy-five, and there may not have been a single live bidder there, um, because that's just the way the auctions work. the The owner will put a reserve on. In this case, seven hundred thousand, and the auctioneer's job is to get them up to just underneath the reserve so that the next bid uh, makes the horse so on the market, if you will. And if there's no one there bidding, the auctioneer will literally invent bids. he would look at Emmett Kennedy and say, yes, sir, 100,000. would look <laughs> at Kevin Blake, uh, who, who's sitting there reading a newspaper. Yes, Mr. Blake, 200,000. then, oh, so on and so forth. And then, magically, the bidders will disappear when they get to the 675,000. And everyone involved would just hope and pray that somebody bids. <laughs> and then the horse is on the market. And, uh, and you've got a sale. But um, unfortunately, as we all find out in the horse business, you do occasionally get left on days where there is no one that wants to bid on yeah. your horse. And you get left dangling just below the reserve. And what seems like an eternity. And nothing happens. And the hammer fails to drop. And you take your horse home
2: but there's not a massive difference between 675 and 700 so like a bit of discretion and
1: that's oh, one it's just one bid it's just one bid yeah there would be at that level you'd be bidding in 25s or, or 50s so mm. the fact that the fact that it's dropped at that mark you now would just suggest to me the reserve of 700 and the, he wasn't making it you know so it, it would be may, hey maybe there was a live bid at 675 but i i would suggest it's highly
2: unlikely that it was all a nonsense kevin blake
1: well there might have been unmasking. a live bid at there there might have been a live bid at 600,000 there might have been a live bid at 650 there might have been a live bid at 675 but there might not have been a single live bid and we don't know the the point the, i suppose the only thing that matters is they put a reserve of 700,000 on and the, it didn't make it
2: kevin blake unmasking the truth of what goes on At the sales rings. Oh, that's that's
1: not a secret. (laughs) That's that's common knowledge.
2: And it's and it's common knowledge now.
1: And it's nothing that it might sound kind of cloak and daggery, but that's you know that's legitimate auction practice. You know, having a reserve is the most normal thing in the world at an auction.
2: Cloak and dagger, another show that you should be watching. It's available (laughs) online. It's a uh, based on the Marvel comics and is very very good. Set in New Orleans um so yeah check that out but uh, yeah our listeners now know what happens behind the scenes who would you be going for kev in the juvenile turf
1: as much as i like anthony van dyke i, I, I probably struggle to fancy him assuming this rain comes mm. assuming this rain comes and i'm just going to go in and have to have a proper look at this Kenners. okay uh, you, you, you've caught me on the hop as the man says we weren't, we weren't, we weren't supposed to be doing Friday in depth
2: <laughs> yeah who'd have thought uh, that I would be asking you for a selection um, so in terms uh, of
1: just just so the listeners know I'm only on here at short notice because, because oh, Nick Luck had, to, had to lash off <laughs> had, to, had to cut the interview short
2: <laughs> yeah Nick had to run off and do a piece for NBC I mean how dare he he's on the I'm Final Frontline feeling... podcast and off he goes and runs off to do a piece for NBC. Shocking yeah,
1: I mean, stuff. I'm, just the fill, I'm just the fill-in man. I'm the fill-in man for the second time in about two weeks.
2: You, you, won't, <laughs> you won't be filling in tomorrow, though, because you'll be alongside <laughs> the brilliant Peter T. Fornatel who is uh, doing daily blogs on attheraces.com on the Breeders' Cup site. I'll actually give you the, the full address. It's breederscup.attheraces.com and you can get Peter's insight there. But more importantly, you can get his insight on the Final Furlong podcast tomorrow. A um, couple of things to talk to you about, Kevin, uh, briefly. Um, first of all, for a lot of these horses, is this an afterthought or has it been... Very much in the trainer's mind all season to go here.
1: Do oh, you imagine in the, in the main it's, it's an afterthought? Um, no disrespect to Breeders' Cup, but it's it's sort of the nature of it um, for for European horses that it, it often is an afterthought, um, just because of where it is in the calendar. Mm. You know the main the main races in Europe have have taken place already, and if if your horse is still all good and you think they're still in form. Um, you keep them rolling uh, and you hope that, they, that they're still in form by the time they get down to the starting gates um, in America. So I'm sure there are exceptions, but in the main, it, it's one of those that it just, if, if the horse is all good, you, you give them a crack.
2: So a horse like Enable, would you consider this a, an afterthought for her?
1: That, it's probably, you know, just a consequence of her interrupted preparations. You know she's on, She we're in. We're just about to hit November, and she's only had two runs. So it, it's logical just while, while she's up and fit and well, and we don't know what next season will bring. Um, keep kicking and have a go. Yeah. um yeah. So it's probably less afterthoughty than most. Um, but you know she's in a slightly different circumstance to many of the others in that she's not coming here at the end of a long season. Um, she's coming in here probably the height of her powers really in, in the third round of her preparations
2: Nick was alluding to the fact that it's very much uh, an afterthought with um, roaring line one that he's in very much in favor of and uh, is quite excited by but as I was saying yes he's American bread but not American bread for for dirt um, so is this an afterthought with him because this is almost certainly the last roll of the dice with with him
1: yeah 100% look it's a free shot it's a free shot if he gets beat um and doesn't you know face the kickback and what have you everyone will go of course he didn't and you know hit the horses and knocked for it at all but if um the unbelievable happens and he happens to win a breeder's cup classic all of a sudden his uh his life is a bit different. Yeah. Um, I I don't really like the decision, to be honest. I would love to see him in the mile. Mm. He'd be the fat. He'd be the fav for the mile, and I think he, he probably would have won it. Um, but there we go. Um, it, it's exciting in its own way. Um, it, it's a very adventurous, daring sort of choice to go for the classic. Um, it's fun, but you know we've seen so many times over the years Europeans will go and have their first spin. On the dirt in the classic, and it's just an absolute write off. Yeah, and he's they've been unlucky, they've 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 pulled a a low draw. You know, I don't think they can change the way they ride him at this stage. You know, so he's probably going to get back, he's probably going to get a face and a mouth and ears full of kickback. And uh, as hardy as he is, um, he it'll be very impressive, highly, highly impressive if he could run through that.
2: And on the flip side of that, this has been. The main target for Thundersnow and for Mendelssohn all season. Their their entire campaign has been geared around this race. So hopefully we'll get to see uh, one, if not both, really show their their uh, their talents, their full talents on the day. Particularly Mendelssohn after Jane <laughs> Mangan's after Jane Mangan's impassioned speech, where I emptied the credit union account. And lumped on. I believe.
1: I believe.
2: Evan Kennedy, the most easily influenced man on the
1: planet. <laughs> well, I already, I
2: already fancied him for the race. But the second Jane did that Al Pacino impression, that was it. I was all in, and lumped on Mendelssohn for the classic. So uh, I cannot wait to see him win that race. Um, the other, the other part that I wanted to ask you about is. The use of Lasix, so there was talk not so long ago that Lasix may very well be banned in the US as a, as a substance that they would fall in line with other racing jurisdictions. Uh, it's still there, it's still in play, and Europeans will be using it, uh, very notably Aidan O'Brien. Now, my take on it is, and I was being asked about this on, on Twitter today, and it's, it's why I, I thought to ask you, is... If you are running a horse in the Breeders' Cup and you end up getting chinned half a length or a head by a horse who on the figures is inferior, but was on Lasix and your horse wasn't, you'd be kicking yourself. So do you have an issue with the European horses using Lasix and do you have an issue with it just in general?
1: Um, like I'd a, a rather no one, you know, no one raced on it. But it, like, like is a funny thing. Like, enough, an and a lot, of, a lot of people in this neck of the woods wouldn't realize it. But an awful lot of tr- horses in Ireland and England would be trained on Lasix quite routinely. Um, it's only not allowed on race day. You know, it's perfectly legitimate to train on it, and the only difference is we don't race on it in this neck of the woods. Um, I, I personally have no great problem with people racing on it um, if it's you know if it's permitted in, in in that jurisdiction i'd rather it was banned everywhere i'd be you know i'd be a big believer in, in drug-free racing uh, mm-hmm. as much as we can you know and i think it's you know, some people will characterize American racing as, you know, this, this, uh, the, uh, you'll hear people calling it the Bleeder's Cup and, you know, car- car- characterizing American racing in that manner, you know, dominated by, by vets and what have you. and And it's certainly the most medication-happy racing jurisdiction on the planet in terms of major racing nations. Mm. And I think that it's something that, to be fair, there are groups within American racing that are giving it a good push and trying to change the culture there.
2: Yeah, there um, definitely but they're, is.
1: They're just meeting with a lot of resistance, um, which is, which is normal. You know, I think American racing met a bit of a crossroads really there. God, I suppose it's nearly 10 years ago now when they started making, started ripping up tracks and putting down synthetics. Yeah. Um, and when they reverse, started reversing all that, I think everyone kind of knew then like it's just going to be so hard to change American racing because that would have brought about um, gradual moves in all the right directions, I think, if they persisted with it, but they didn't. Um, And, yeah, look, they're they're a bit of an outlier in in world racing that way. But uh, to say that, um, you'd be very um, ignorant, really, to think that horses in Ireland and England are, you know, trained on... Um, hay oats and water um, because they're not you know the therapeutic medications are, are a very common thing in, in British and Irish racing as well. and it wouldn't be fair to to characterize America as this uh, as this um, wild West for, for medication and racing when you know there's plenty there's plenty of, of therapeutics legitimate therapeutic medications I should add and um, that are very common in in our British and Irish racing as well. Um, it's just that there is quite a bit more allowed in America, uh, and and to go back to your original question, when you're going over there, um, you know, Andre Fab has always taken the, the view that he wouldn't race on Lasix, I believe. Yes. And he's had and he's had winners there. Yeah. You know, again, and, and it, the thing about Lasix is you read up about it and you read up the research on it, and they know it does certain things. You know, it, it'll horses will drop an awful lot of water weight. Um, ha- having been given Lasix um, some will say that the, the function of Lasix the, the real function of Lasix is to, is to act as a masking agent in that it gets horses to shed um, waterway through urine and that it could get something out of their system that isn't supposed to be there that, that would be the cynical view um, the more common view I suppose is that it, it reduces bleeding um, and bursting of blood vessels, but in, in real terms, like I don't think anyone's ever been able to say being on Lasix is worth X number of pounds in a race to you. I don't think anyone would ever would ever be able to say that. And you know, sometimes you know with cobalt and things like that, you know, it, there's a perception there that it's a performance enhancer, but people, people don't know. You know, there would be a strong veterinary case there that cobalt is is of no use, performance-enhancing benefit at all. And in fact, the only thing it is that we that we know for certain it is in horses is toxic and it will kill them if you give them too much. Whoa. Um, and Lasix, you know, might well not have have any great performance-enhancing benefits at all. But just because it's allowed, and people think, um, because like you say oh, if I don't use it and I'm beaten by one that's on it, maybe that was the difference maker. You know, we just don't know with certainty.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, we don't know with certainty. And history is littered with examples of humans giving different medications and drugs and what have you to horses, thinking it will have a positive benefit. And, um, you know, the reality is, scientifically, it, it's very much open to question how much benefit there is at all, and it might even be a detriment. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a tricky subject. It's a tricky subject. I'm not a vet. I'm not out there reading all the, these papers that are out there. I've read, I've read plenty over the years to try and get my head around it. Um, it's tricky. Look, if, I, if I owned a horse that was going to the Breeders' Cup, would they race on Lasix? Yes, they would. Um, not because I, I think it would make a big difference, but at least when you're on it, um, the, the, the playing field is level. Um that so was exactly
2: tricky. that was the exact phrase I was gonna use that uh for Aiden O'Brien and John Gosden and uh Said Bin Saroor and, and others who take advantage of it. I have absolutely no problem with it because it means that they are they are playing on a level on a level playing field along with the Americans because the vast majority of their horses are going to run on lasix and seeing as it's legalized over there seeing as it's fine to run uh on lasix then what's the problem you know what are we giving out about andre fab as you've said has taken a stance and has decided he does not want to use it he's perfectly entitled to that opinion and i'm sure he would be very much an advocate that it should be banned and taken out of america entirely but the fact is, it's there. It is an option that you can use, so why not take advantage of it?
1: Yeah, it, it's it's tricky. Look, like I say, for me, I, I would ban pretty much every type of therapeutic <laughs> medication within reason, um, because it would be for the betterment of the breed. You know, a lot of things that that horses are given hide, um, the hide faults that um that can be heritable. What exactly
2: um, does Lasix hide for, for those who aren't familiar, Kevin?
1: Well, if, if you know, again, it's not a, a certain thing, but if a horse was a chronic burst or a blood vessels, um, Lasix could very much be a help to them. It's a tricky thing. Like I, I'd be all for you know drug free racing, you know, because I think the Germans have the right idea. You know, if you have ever been given if a stallion if a, a coat's ever been given Lasix, they are not allowed stand at stud in Germany. If they've ever had a wind operation, they're not allowed standard stud, um, and many other strict requirement requirements. And I think that's the best way. That's I think that's absolutely the best
2: way. That's fascinating. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah,
1: it, it's it's the, they have a very high standard imposed there, and um, it's been the case for a long time. Like, and I suppose we have to clarify like the the breeding industry in Germany is small, but it very much. It very much punches above its weight for the size of it yeah like let me see I, I actually have the numbers here somewhere if you give me a second um i think most people would be shocked to know how few um how, how few how few folds are produced in germany because we see so many really good german breads around you know the likes of um monson was obviously a brilliant sire and, and manjuro and a few of those yeah german bread novelist and yeah. um, german bread i think off the top of my head yeah But so just to give you a comparison, um, in Ireland, the average foal crop there for kind of 2012 to 2016 was 8,200.
2: 8,200 foals born in Ireland in that year.
1: Yeah, in Germany, 822. So there's (laughs) 10 times as many foals born in Ireland as Germany. Um, So it's a very small breeding industry, but they get great results. Yeah, they um, they do, to be fair. And like the, the they wouldn't have, you know, with Monson um, no longer with us, they don't have big stallion power there. Um, well, of course, it would be difficult to justify it with that with such a small number of mares. But um, they yeah. like they would actually have the highest um, percentage of 115 plus performers per foal of any of the major breeding nations. Um, that's a that's a factual fact. and reading, I had around those numbers, and I have that right in front of me here so they, they get great results from very small numbers really okay and uh, i can't help but think that those standards that they impose um on the breed there is only a good thing and you know i'd, I'd love to see the whole racing world go that way um i think it would be a good thing for the breed because i think the you do worry about some of these horses that are going to start having been you know very much been given an awful lot of help in terms of therapeutic medications and wind operations and so on and so forth through their careers and you just wonder will they will they be passing on that that weakness onto their offspring. And we know of course now that with stallion books being so big, you know, it's an awful lot of horses being thrown into the system. Yeah. Um before you get to find out um if they can stand up to training. You know, many of these will have, you know, three, four hundred um, more in, in some cases falls on the ground before their first runners ever hit the track, so it's um, it's not ideal. But again, we've 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 sort of ventured off in <laughs> a different direction there, but um, you know what I mean.
2: No, but I think that's a fascinating piece of information, and uh, and a fascinating talking point. So I'm very glad that you brought it up. I I do sometimes when I'm going through the form for Lingfield, for example, and you look at the pedigree. I'm sometimes shocked that a, a certain horse has been sent to stud and the people are actually using that horse. I'm looking at it going how has he been sent to how has anybody first of all why was he sent to stud and secondly how can anybody have taken the decision to breed him um it's just it it can be baffling at times but I guess at the lower end of the scale, you're looking for value and uh, and you can take a punt. Um, Friday night, what would be the horse you're most looking forward to seeing on At The Race's Kevin Blake?
1: Oh, I'll tell you tomorrow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I'll tell I you right wor- now. You
1: need, need to work out all these winners first.
2: I'll tell you right now. It is Sergei Prokofiev. <laughs> I cannot wait to see what he can do. You-
1: Cannot pronounce his name. <laughs> it
2: is, is it not, Sergey? I don't think so,
1: <laughs> but I don't know. Well, we'll um well, who, who is it? Who's, who's our pronunciation person again? We have,
2: um, we have a pronun- Julie, isn't it? Julie is a pronunciation expert. So I'll, I'll try this one ins- instead. Sergey Pokofiev.
1: I, I have a feeling it's Sergey, but I could be wrong.
2: <laughs> one last try. Sergi Prokofiev. (laughs) Dasvidani, comrade. Uh, That is it. Thanks very much to Nick Luck for uh, giving us his time before he had to dash off for NBC. To be fair, uh, that is a priority, and NBC's coverage will be simulcast live and exclusive on At The Races on both Friday and Saturday night for one of what looks on paper the best Breeders' Cup for many a year I cannot wait for it I am genuinely psyched about it this year and very much looking forward to chatting to Peter T. Fornital as he returns to the podcast uh, tomorrow evening as well alongside Kevin and myself and that podcast will be available uh, tomorrow night too we will be going through race by race and uh, Peter will be able to give us an insight into the American horses that Kevin and I have never no clue about whatsoever, he will be able to uh, keep us up to date and inform us properly of those horses. As for the European Raiders, Kevin's going to have that locked down and some big selections, and you are going to have a nap for both days tomorrow, Kevin, aren't you?
1: What? what, what? Yes. <laughs>
2: yes, we'll be do- we'll be doing a Lucky 63 oh. for the Breeders' Cup. Don't you worry about that. We'll have it fixed up. You can crack open a few cold ones, sit back. You can drink a soft drink. Do what I'm doing. Uh, Blackcurrant and sparkling water. I've become addicted to it. Have that. <sighs> sit back, watch ATR, and hopefully cheer on your horses winning Kevin chat to you again tomorrow good luck and from me Emma Kennedy thanks once again for all the kind words on social media it really does mean a lot and uh, I was going through the podcast charts uh, Kevin says ah! charts do not matter um, no one cares I was blown away by our position on Apple Podcasts and <sighs> SoundCloud and that's all down to you And thank you so, so much for listening. And do you know what? Instead of asking you to give us a five star review like Kevin normally does, I'm going to ask you to reach one, teach one, spread the word about the Final Furlong podcast. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your co workers, tell the person you're sitting beside on a train, tell your children to listen to the Final Furlong podcast. Spread the word. Reach one, teach one. From me, Emma Kennedy, we will chat to you tomorrow with the great Peter T. Fornital on At The Races. Don't forget to check out the At The Races microsite. It's breederscup.attheraces.com. Enjoy it. We will talk to you again tomorrow on the Final Furlong Podcast. God bless.
0: The Final Furlong Podcast is sponsored by Unibet. Sign up now using code ATR-30 to get your welcome offer. Be 18+.
2: Have you downloaded the free At The Races app yet? With easy-to-use race cards and form, expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting, it's the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile, visit attheraces.com forward slash app for more details.